0: back my friends, to the show that never ends, I'm glad you could attend, come inside, come inside, come inside, right now, you are listening to Let's Talk Hemp and the 422, I am your host Morris Beagle, welcome to the show. Hello, hello, hello from the 422, where every day is Earth Day. This is the third episode of Season 2 for Let's Talk Hemp and the 422, and we're doing our post-NOCO Hemp Expo number 6 wrap-up, and we have a great special guest on this Earth Day episode we're calling Fiber and the Future, where we look beyond the CBD hype and look at the industrial properties of this plant for biocomposites and plastics, building materials, and, and other interesting applications like surfboards and guitars. A big thank you to the sold-out NOCO Hemp Expo participants, including sponsors, exhibitors, speakers, staff, volunteers, attendees, community partners, and all who were involved. It was a stellar turnout, and our only regret is not enough space to take care of all of the interest that is out there. We're still working out our production kinks with recording and the call-in process, so bear with us as we continue to try to fine-tune these things. Unfortunately, Rick and I could not connect in our new little recording studio setup. So we did it through a web app we are testing out and again working out some kinks. Be patient with us and on that note, let me get Rick dialed in here. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of Let's Talk Imp and the 422. I am here with my partner Rick Trojan. What's going on, Rick?
1: Hey brother, how you doing?
0: Oh, you know, just winding down after NOCO and getting everything kind of situated for what we got coming up here the next month.
1: Yeah, I was uh, excited for the wind down but it turns out the wind down was just right back into a wind up. I feel like angels on the outfield. My arm just keeps circulating around, right? Like we have lots and lots of stuff coming up, but uh, let's go through all this awesome stuff that was NOCO 6, buddy. 6th one, lots of crazy, amazing stuff. Uh, obviously, some challenges, but obviously some amazing, amazing things. Let's get into uh, first. What do you want to get into? The Some of the challenges or what you found uh, was amazing?
0: The challenges were amazing. That That is true. Good thing was, A, we sold out of the exhibitor space and sponsorship early on. Great, great energy for that. And then ticket sales this year were off the hook. I mean, we sold out a business conference. We sold out a farm symposium, We sold out of Investor Forum, sold out of B2B, and General Admission Day was packed. I mean, there were no more tickets, and it was just no more capacity. We needed a bigger boat last year. Uh, We got a bigger boat this year, and this boat wasn't big enough, and we're going to have to have a way bigger boat next year, which we're going to have.
1: And like I said, if you didn't get your tickets ahead of time to NOCO, that was a no-no because that meant it was a no-go. And really, for real, that was actually what it was for some people. So um, sorry we didn't get you in, but uh, hopefully plan ahead next time. We'll, we'll definitely have some more space available next year, but not too bad a challenge to have, man. I think from my standpoint, it was awesome to see tons of new faces uh, on the vendor side a bit, but also on the attendance side. I mean, having, what, 8,000 plus people come through that place was uh, was great to see um also i got uh, personally i got to introduce the governor jared polis which was great and then i got to speak with uh united natural products alliance executive director lauren israelson so they do some great stuff there and more strategically might work with uh with them hopefully on some of the boards i work with and then heads up and the hats off to the staff the staff was absolutely incredible the door uh the door security was amazing they did their job very effectively in fact Uh, I couldn't get in sometimes I had to go back and make sure I had the right tickets uh, around the right lanyard. So uh, the staff was incredible. And it was for all the challenges, it was by far the best NOCO we've had all year. I would say the best NOCO ever.
0: I would have to agree with that. We certainly ran into some challenges, but you know, ticket sales were great. Attendance was great. The energy was great. The excitement, the enthusiasm, Um, the scaling of this event was definitely challenging with the venue we certainly could have used a lot more space than we had. Parking was a bit of an issue, crowd management at times. And you know, there were people that were a bit upset about the ticket situation and not being able to get into the business conference or the farm symposium because they waited too long and it sold out. Which we say every year, you got to get your tickets early, you know. So if if you don't get your tickets and you've already bought your plane tickets and your hotel tickets, uh, I, that doesn't make sense to me sometimes, but people do that and that had happened this year. And we did try to accommodate as many people as we could, but that's part of, uh, that's just part of the process when you're growing a show like this and we're happy to see it grow like it has because it's reached a point where there's definitely something going on in this industry with this point yeah what
1: what it is is it's it's uh it's it's fucking badass rock and roll is what it is dude we had people that couldn't get in i mean really you got to get the concerts of van halen before they come or whomever right and the people didn't get their tickets i thought they they thought they could come maybe camp out do it old school that wasn't an option so i mean there were cars literally parked on the median around the hotel i mean it was like it was like a rock and roll concert and i mean there are people coming in from ubers you know parked five ten minutes away so the The excitement was there. The commitment was obviously there. Uh, from my perspective, a couple of things, obviously, we we all know there wasn't enough room at the venue. We knew that was gonna happen once the farm bell passed, especially. so that's something we can easily resolve. the um the after party transportation, this I guess too, is also rock and roll. Apparently, bus uh, transportation groups think that hempsters are so rock and roll that we need bus transportation for a uh, thousand plus people at eight o'clock in the morning instead of at eight o'clock at night. So the buses apparently came early in the morning to uh, take us to our venue that we didn't need to go to, until 12 hours later. So I thought that was kind of a hilarious little, uh, little mismatch.
0: Yeah. When you hire a consumption bus company for an after party <laughs> and then a bus company shows up from seven thirty in the morning till noon for the after party, that's, <laughs> that happens that's in aggressive. Colorado. Yeah, I think
1: that does happen in Colorado. I think that's amazing. One thing that I thought was cool that I, that I shared with you today that you and I looked at, and I want to give a shout out to uh to my buddy uh, Jeremy over in the Netherlands. But he showed us public footage of a guy, one of Jeremy's business partners, speaking in Florida, I guess, talking about going to Noteco 6. And the guy quoted, and I'm sure you can get a video, an audio clip of this down the road, but the guy said, literally, quoted, all of hemp farmers all over America and Canada. We're at NoCo Six. It was like being in California in, in the 1849 Gold Rush. Fire marshals were needed to keep people out. That was the end of his quote. I think I think that summed it up. I think it was a first time And I, I think it, and obviously using uh, this event and, and this kind of excitement and this and the people in this industry to help promote what he was trying to do, which was get Florida on board with uh, with the plan. Uh, I think speaks a lot to how uh, effective and impactful uh, the NoCo. The NOCO project is.
0: Yeah, we had people from obviously all across the United States, all across North America, but really all across the world, 20 plus countries showing up and all different backgrounds of people converging, all different industries and so much excitement and forward thinking people that are just ready for change and already thinking differently. Are showing up to this event, and they have been for the last several years, as we know, and it just continues to amplify every year. And I'm just really excited about what the future holds. I mean, we've obviously still got obstructive situations going on with government agencies and the status of CBD and the FDA and what's happening on the global level in Europe with CBD and novel foods, and there's still stuff to be worked out. But I think that the progression that we've seen over the last four or five years is it's inevitable that we're moving in the right direction. We still have roadblocks that we're going to overcome. We'll have solutions that will fix a lot of these problems that we see right now. And so I'm pretty hopeful after what we've seen this year. And
1: yeah, I mean, the growth is tremendous. I think uh, you're right. There's a lot of things we still need to overcome, a lot of education to be done uh, for sure. But uh, all stepping in the right direction and we're all you know we on the ship in the right direction so i think it's great on a more positive note i think there's a lot of uh education and interest i mean we have people coming up all over the country with these hemp events and these hemp uh you know consulting and and education seminars and and really i think do your research so you know who's giving these seminars and who's who's really there to train you and make sure that the people have history or have domestic you know experience in cultivation or processing or farming uh because now we get a lot of people coming in, they read a book or a magazine article and now they're a consultant or a a speaker. So um, I think it's just be cognizant of who's out there and and keep expanding your education.
0: Yeah, there's certainly a lot of events out there at this point in time. You can go to hempevents.org where we've got all of our events, plus several other events that we've either partnered with or are supporting promotionally and have somewhat vetted. Uh, It's hard to vet everything and every producer coordinator that's out there but there are some good people out there doing events throughout the United States and in different parts of the world and we're trying to connect the dots with those people as much as possible so we can share information and get our messaging aligned and hopefully take cannabis to where it needs to be on a global level and that's completely
1: yes so good segue let's get into a couple of the Coming events, of course, you can always go to hempevents.org for all this information. But Mo, uh, we're going to be crossing paths here right off the bat at EarthX in Dallas, April 26th through 28th, um, there at the Texas Convention Center, and then you guys had to get ready for the Bayou in May 1st in New Orleans, the Hemp on the Bayou. Tickets are available for that as well. We got great programming coming up. We also have two of the road trip documentary screenings coming up, one the 29th in Dallas at the Texas Theater, and then another one May 6th, uh, the day after Jazz Fest is over, in New Orleans at Cafe Istanbul at 6 p.m. So, again, events.org for those upcoming events. Got a lot going on here uh, right with uh, the Grand Junction event, Morris, coming up. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, so on yeah May 11th, we've got the Hemp on the Slope spring summit that will be similar to our winter hemp summit that we did the beginning of the year in fort collins it's a smaller event one day symposium it'll be again maybe similar to Tamp on the bayou with programming and networking going on from 10 till 4 in the afternoon the grand junction one is in their two rivers convention center and which is getting ready to be remodeled and that's where we're moving hemp on the slope to, in 2020 we were going to try to move it there this summer uh, because we've outgrown the salt creek ranch farm aaron and margaret have done a great job with getting that event up and off the ground you know in conjunction with a lot of us that are coming to put that on every year but it's it's kind of outgrown the farm we're still going to do it there one more year this year And then move it to uh, the convention center, but the convention center is going to be under remodel all summer. So we wanted to to get in the convention center and and do kind of a here's your last chance for some decent education before you go into the growing season. So it's really going to be farm driven, you know, making sure that you've got all your materials, all the soil nutrients, and you know, are you planned out correctly over the summer for all the growing stuff that you're going to need and how are you going to harvest it and where is it going for processing and do you have a buyer at the end of the season and really just talk about all the important things that everybody needs to be thinking about going going through this growing season. Especially
1: for up there in the western slope of Colorado. Um, And then we're actually going to take the hemp road trip on tour eight coming up brother. I can't believe we've done this eight freaking times. It's amazing. This will be our first coast to coast will be Virginia to California. So uh, we're going to start with, I call it the lion's den heading into Louisiana, Texas, Georgia. Um, I guess Georgia just passed, but essentially places that don't have hemp laws. There's only nine of them left or eight of them left. And so we're getting after three of them right off the bat. Uh, then, like I said, we'll head up to some universities, go visit some farms, some retail operations, and then head all the way across to California for hemp history week. So we'll run into you guys out there for, um, Dr. Bronner's and H.I.A.'s and Hemp History Week's award-winning Grammy concert. I think that's June 5th. And then we'll head up to Santa Barbara and uh, then cruise back through Utah. So going to be a great tour. Uh, Lots of amazing stuff coming first coast to coast. We have a new PR guru and media guru joining us. And the production crew is a woman you've met, Sophia. She's going to come and help us with logistics and all the good stuff. So uh, we met her in Nepal and she agreed to fly out and join us on the road trip. So. We are now uh, we now have international employees that are from America. Yeah.
0: That's, that's nice. Well, good, Sophia so. will do a good job for you on the road.
1: It's exciting. we got a lot of stuff coming up, as always.
0: Yeah. So talking about the Hemp History Week and the road trip, like we discussed, so I'm going to yeah. get you a Silver Mountain Hemp guitar, which I need to get to you before we head out to EarthX, which we're going to be there this upcoming weekend, because today... As we broadcast, mm-hmm. is the four two two. It is Earth Day, and here at Let's Talk Imp and the four two two every day is Earth Day, where we bend the knee. So anyway, we're going to be. I'm going to get you that guitar, and that guitar is going to make the rounds with you on the road trip, and it'll end up in San Diego on. I think it's actually June sixth, and not June fifth, at the is the anniversary party in downtown San Diego, and that guitar will be incorporated into a promotion with the 10th anniversary Hemp History Week and and be used for some sort of fundraising application yet to be exactly determined, but we're in discussions with the fine folks over there at Hemp History Week
1: as to what that's going to look like. And again, get your tickets for that. And like I said, maybe I said the fifth Morris so they could come and camp out and get tickets if they haven't before. Like true rock and roll style since You'll be there, the hip guitar will be there, and that's a whole different level of extraordinary, you know?
0: Well, and I'm sure it will sell out because, like I say, we sell out every seat, every yep. venue, every time. Free Napster. We are like Metallica. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, well, you can't get this shit for free. <laughs> now I'm nobody like. will buy yeah, a ticket. it doesn't work. Actually, dude, I don't think I ever told you this. I used to work for the pre Napster as a group called Music Strands when I lived over in uh, Barcelona. The University of Barcelona was actually developing this software, <laughs> Uh, before and i was helping them with their english and it was kind of amazing in their business so yeah metallica pre-napster that's a good spot to be
0: yeah so was this company you worked for was that uh, similar to napster and mp3.com
1: yes it's a company called music strands and they got absorbed and then they got absorbed and they went over to america so they were the reason i was teaching them and not a british bloke was they wanted to know american english and they wanted to know like there they use commas and periods differently and they they say words like maths with an S instead of math. So I was there to help the executives at this place not say maths and actually conduct business like Americans on, what is it? America Online and all that stuff way back in the day.
0: Right. So you actually helped them speak good English?
1: Uh, speak and maybe type and do instant messaging, right? Because instant messaging just come out. So like the nuance was a little different, so I helped him with nuance, with business, reading financials, like because the numbers were all were displayed differently. So, just help them kind of translate British business from American business. You know, it's like driving on one side of the road versus driving on the correct side of the road. So, I was helping him learn the correct way.
0: Correct. We found that correct. out. Correct.
1: If we're going to be xenophobic and and uh, and patriotically narcissistic, we are the correct are the, way. Are the correct, are the correct way. Amen. Fair enough. All right, brother. This was a good one. We'll look forward to seeing you in a couple of days in Texas, and uh, <laughs> our big four two two on the four two two. This hasn't happened for a year, so that's pretty epic.
0: Well, we got to get Patrick up here for our interview, and Patrick's going to be with us out in Dallas as well. And Patrick is one of the top fiber guys in the world. So sounds
1: good. We're going to yep. get
0: up, him up here in just what a minute or so, right? All righty. Well, we'll be right back with you here at the four two two. Welcome back to Let's Talk Hemp in the 422, and today we have from PF Design Labs, Patrick Flaherty, the Irish man who now resides in Kentucky and is one of the top fiber guys in the world when it comes to industrial hemp and other natural fibers. Welcome Patrick, how
2: you doing? Great, thanks, awesome to be here, man.
1: So what Flaherty, is that Irish, Scottish, what is
2: it? it's, It's Irish, yes, it's Patrick John Flaherty. Just a just a wee bit Irish.
1: Yes, definitely. We were uh, we were there last year, and uh, Morris and I had some berries in Dingle, which were uh, I thought they were <laughs> delicious. He didn't think they were as delicious. And then uh, <laughs> we uh, we had some uh, we had uh, some good times in Dublin, and kind of went over over that whole that whole little uh, country there. Nice. And then, Mo, you were just there.
0: Yeah, I went there right before we had our event there in the UK at the Hemp and CBD Expo. So I swung through Ireland for a day, and we went and cruised the the island and looked at some locations for doing a potential conference next year, but there's stuff going on this year as well. They've got a few things that are trying to bring that group together over there, yeah,
2: a, which seems to be somewhat challenging. Yeah, cool. I was actually, I just flew in and out of Dublin. I didn't get to spend any time in Ireland, but I didn't make sure I had a, uh, a Guinness at the airport. Enough. Back. It was right at the gate. They had it up.
1: Uh, well, let's get started here. We're super excited to have you. Thanks for making the time. Yeah. Let's just get right into. Tell us a little bit about PF Design Labs and a little bit about your history.
2: Sure, sure. Uh, so I've been in this space for about six years now. Uh, my interest in it actually started when I was a little kid uh, in board sports and composite applications, and I was always hands on. I always wanted to make stuff, and I realized, you know, you could you could build snowboards and skateboards and things like that in your garage that wasn't terribly difficult, but why would you put different materials in there to get different things, different flex profiles and that kind of stuff? And I realized I had to get an engineering degree to really understand those things. And so I got a mechanical engineering degree with an emphasis on polymer deposits. I helped start a decodicating company here in the States called Sunstrand. I was with them for about five years. I left there last summer as the VP product development, so I can expand beyond the two main materials that we were working with uh, into a bunch of other materials that were available and into a whole bunch of different applications.
1: Let's start with basic what is a biocomposite? So, a biocomposite
2: is a typical polymer composite that consists of a a polymer and a a fiber reinforcement. Uh, Typically, there's synthetics, and the fibers are there for your strength, your stiffness, your your polymer is the glue that holds everything together to help transfer the load. So a bio-based or a, a bio-composite has some components of that is, is bio-based.
0: So would that be both the fiber and the uh, polymer? Is there like biopolymers that can adhere everything together?
2: Yeah, I mean, there could be. You know, I, there isn't a real set definition of what that means, but you could have you could have your fiber be bio-based, you could have your polymer be bio-based, um, you could have both of them. And those those different things determine the, the properties of the material that you, you're gonna end up getting.
1: So I was out in a, in a textile manufacturing facility in, in the Carolinas during the first road trip. And we, I was interested, they were doing a lot of non-wovens and almost always they were using yep. a, a petroleum-based polymer epoxy, right? As the glue essentially as the adhesive. So even natural fibers, Oftentimes, I mean, you could get natural binders, right? But they would often use uh, epoxy
2: as a binder. And I I found that fascinating that it was so ubiquitous. Yeah. And and actually most non-woven are going to have, typically they're a a thermoplastic. So you you melt it to get everything to bond together. Uh, Epoxies are in the uh, thermoset family. They tend to be higher value, higher strength, higher stiffness. But yeah, you you can mix and match that stuff to get different properties and to get different uh, values that you're trying to get out of it, whether that's. You know, bio-based for more renewability, strength, stiffness, damping. It, it it really
0: depends. Do you see us being able to make these bi or biopolymers, these binders, that are truly plant-based, that could replace petroleum? Or is that just
2: not realistic to think that? No, it, it's possible, right? But it's gonna it's gonna come down to economies of scale and and pricing. You know, it really, at the end of the day, people are very price conscious, not only consumers, but manufacturers as well and, and all through that supply chain. So it just depends on the, on the pricing on, on that kind of stuff. You know, your raw materials are a huge part of what you can make. And what you can make is determined by who you're going to buy it or not, right? Who going to use it? So the science and, and chemistry are there. It just it comes down to scaling.
0: So it is possible. We can do it science and technology wise. We really, if we wanted hemp to be that replacement that we've talked about and we've heard talked about for decades now, it's all about scale and having millions and millions of acres and having all this material that can go into these industrial applications.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a little bit. More than that, right? But scale is a huge part of. It. There's also just the understanding of what that kind of stuff is. You know, I mean, everybody talks about making stuff with hemp and natural materials, but but not a lot of people realize what it takes to get the materials off the farm and into something you can hold in your hand or, say, an automotive application that you can use on a daily basis. You know, and I think that's where where we kind of come in. We're material and application agnostic. Uh, we just want to assist with innovative development and that helps others realize their products and, and projects because. Not everybody understands all those things, and everybody understands, you know, all the nuances of, of steps that get involved to, to make those things happen. So I've assembled a team of people around me, and, and we understand and have the experience in the entire supply chain, you know, starting with the raw material development and through raw material processing, and, and that's where most of the people in the United States actually stop—is at that, that raw material processing. Like, okay, we made this stuff, or people just want to make the curd of the fiber or whatever, and then they're done with it. But we can—I go farther up the supply chain with the added value of material development, right? So now you take those fibers that hurt and you put it in a format you can actually use, right? Mm-hmm. And so whether that like talk about non-wovens, non-woven is huge because non-wovens are relatively easy to produce. They don't require all of the other processing and equipment to, to make like say a textile, right? A woven textile. And so, so we've worked a lot on, on working on these different formats and developing these formats, you know, non-wovens, fabric reinforcements, compounded polymers, and figuring out the compatibility with both thermoplastic and thermoset systems uh, of those materials.
1: So, so here's a question that comes up, and it came up here in Colorado. Um, there's quite a bit of disagreement on this, but let's talk about the biomass, essentially the stock and fiber biomass from cannabinoid uh, grown cannabis, right? So grown for yeah CBD, yeah. Uh, or grown even on the on the THC side, right? So, so not not fiber hemp specifically, but my school of thought is there's still value in that plant. Uh, material in that, in that stock and stem biomass even though it's shorter and, and different than the fiber hemp. Is
2: that true and what, what's the value of that stock? That's true and that is a huge issue for the hemp industry. You know a big part of the hemp is sustainability of it. Well from my estimates from last year alone there's probably about 75,000 tons of biomass that is sitting around that people don't know what to do with. They want to do things with it. They think it could go into things and it can but it comes down to logistics and and what's the price of that right now the price of most of that stuff is because there's you know, no market they have to pay 75 bucks per load to go buried around somewhere right so so the price of it is is not worth a whole lot but if you compare it to some of the places where it could go you're competing a lot of times with wood and wood waste and, and that's two cents a pound so the issue is actually not the value of the material the issue is logistics of moving it around and can you afford to do
1: that? But so what What essentially, what would it go into when you say when you say it competes with what, what, what products specifically or would cannabinoid stock, right, go into?
2: So you're going to have the same type, if, if you were to specifically grow four fiber and herd, you're going to have the same makeup in the, the cannabinoid, in the CBD uh, plants and whatnot. So it's, you have fiber and herd, but you have varying qualities of those. And you have them in, in, in different formats. You know, you've got the, the bio waste we've identified as basically four types. You've got the, what's called the Charlie Brown Christmas tree looking bush, right? That's been stripped of flower and, and, and other stems. Then you have uh, stems that have been broken up. And then you have stuff that's kind of been like, I'm, I'm not gonna say combined, but it's been kind of broken up a little bit further. But definitely there's sticks and, and stuff that are, are visible. And then you have ground biomass you know the both the co2 and the solvent extractors grind that material and so you're left with this ground material so all four of those have different applications and different values but again it's where is it how much do you have so so we were at noco we had a, a sign up saying hey if you're a if you're a farmer if you're a Uh, processor your CBD processor and your biomass can talk to us and we're trying to understand who's got what and where because it's going to have to be a a satellite type operation you're you're not going to be able to put it all in one location it's going to have to have probably multiple locations per state depending on what the format of that material is so uh, again your easiest stuff is the herd for absorbance and bedding and, and things like that your fiber the shorter fibers if those fibers are usable into non-wovens, could be compounded into other polymer systems. It's actually a huge project that we're working on right now, and we're working with multiple people trying to identify who's got what and where, and and can we use this material to offset traditional wood or other materials in applications? And it's only going to work if the value is there. Does it compete with the wood, and can you afford to put it into a format that you can use? How far away is it?
1: You talk about you're from Wyoming, and or you're from Montana, rather. And I'm, I was just up in Wyoming, and they're talking about you know the different uses of the plant up there as they just passed their laws. Montana, as you may know, grew twenty two thousand acres this last year, or at least registered that many, which was the most in the U S. How many acres does it take to justify a fiber processing plant?
2: Wow. Uh well actually so Montana and I spent some time in Montana before I ended up in, in Kentucky, but uh, originally from Minnesota, it, it depends on the scale, you know. Most systems are designed for around two thousand pounds of input per hour, you know. So you've two thousand pounds times eight hours a day, one or two shifts a week, you know, three hundred days a year. But then you look at what what is your actual yield off those fields, you know. For C B D stuff, you're talking maybe a ton or two of, of biomatter coming off a CBD acre. If you're purpose growing for for fiber, you're, you're double that. So it, it completely depends. But you, you know, we're talking large operations to be commercially viable. If we're beyond the artisan, right, if we're into actually competing with other fibers that are out there, synthetic fibers, then yeah, you're talking large systems, you know, decorticating systems that start at about $1.5 million, a, a whole site that's six to eight million. You know, that's going to run you know, two or three shifts a year, it'll get to that point. It's going to have to get to that point. So you're talking thousands of acres to support a, a large commercial facility. When do you see us getting there? I mean, we can get there soon in the next couple of years. It, it just comes down to capital investment. I mean, those systems are available. They're off the shelf. I mean, I could work with you on on a couple if you wanted. Uh, So, yeah, it's it's just it's buying the equipment and setting it up and and understanding. But it's not just that. Right. It's not just that you can grow. Therefore, it is right. There's a whole side of the quality control on your material coming into your facility and understanding what you got to do inside your facility to get consistent material out the other side. So, I mean, people are starting to do it now. There's been mixed success with the uh, large scale operations. So it, it could happen now. Are you familiar with both
0: Dunagro and Hemp Flax? And have you been out to their facilities and seen how they operate?
2: No, Hemp Flax, uh, I'm a little bit more. What's the Dunagro guy's name? I can't remember. Albert? Yeah. So what they produce mostly is a, a lower grade fiber that i'm aware of and for non woven applications so no I'm, I'm not uh super familiar with those guys no
0: okay well those they're like the two biggest players over there in europe from a in europe yeah fiber producing herd producing i mean they do animal bedding and products for hemp building materials and and the car parts paneling that's really mm-hmm. you know, yeah again
2: non-woven applications exactly, exactly. I'll talk a little bit too beyond just that farming side, right, then, then there's the actual application of these materials that we're, we're talking about, the non-wovens, the wovens, all things like that, and kind of the difficulty is how do you get these raw materials into formats that you can use into new or existing products, and how do you get these materials to be compatible with existing manufacturing methods, right, again, it's not just that we can grow it, it's all the other steps between growing it and that car you're driving around with that, you know, that part in it, right, the holy grail of, of natural materials is drop and replacement of, in, into existing manufacturing systems. And, and the truth is that it's not usually that simple. It requires tweaks all along the way. And so I think what we well, cool, able to do at NOCO and, and now with Instagram, we're showcasing not just materials that we've helped develop, but actual real innovative applications into a number of formats and materials, and materials that are either available right now or will be available in the summer as distribution stuff gets set up. What I've noticed in the years past is there was nobody that really understood how to do that kind of stuff, right? There was all these people saying, hey, we're going to grow, hey, we're going to sell this fiber. How are you going to actually do that? Where's that stuff going to go? And I think there's nobody really else in the space that's been able to play that part, right? Of course, there's a lot of talk of what can be done and what's claimed to be done. and There's lots of pretty fancy websites that boast about capabilities and innovation. And, and by large, I can tell you that most of it's marketing propaganda, but it's a good start. Right, and so that's why I decided. Well, you know, I, enough of that. We're not actually. We're just going to show people what can actually be done. We're not going. We're not going to talk about it. So, you know, things that people can take pictures of, or they can actually hold in their hand, and I think that's what we've done. And, and the response has been huge, and I, I can barely keep up with all the inquiries that I've had since since Novo, And it's been super awesome. So I'm super thankful to everybody with all the response from that, and, and thank you guys for having me on here for discussing these kinds of things and recognizing the efforts in it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's exciting. We're part of uh, we're part of uh, the HIA specifically as part of a group called the Plant Based Products Council, and they have groups like McDonald's and Lego and Starbucks all committing to be biodegradable packaging by twenty twenty two or twenty twenty five. So the time yeah. is now, and what you're doing will, will fit directly into those uh, those programs, and it will help give uh, our hemp farmers specifically uh, an opportunity to utilize their stock and stem
2: biomass, right and
1: and really have that fiber play which which is really the old tried and true of this crop to start with right so
2: let's simplify the discussion so we're going to grow for a fiber herd and, and what are we going to do and so let's let's talk about some of the technical applications some of the easier things with that so uh, you're talking before what do you do with this stuff so the, the fiber goes out on you know, on the outside of the stalk, the inside sort of this woody styrofoamy core you know we call her you know with the fiber like you said the easiest thing you can do is, is short fibers for Discontinuous non-woven mat applications, and those have a whole host of uses. I mean, you, you use non-woven materials every single day of your life, you know, in, in multiple formats. But beyond that, then now you're talking more textile grade fibers, and those turn into rovings, and those rovings turn into yarns and threads, they're woven into textiles, and can also then be compounded with different plastic fillers for your consumer products and things like that. On the Herd side, you know, of course there's the bedding and the hemp and all the stuff that people talk about all the time. But, it's mostly used as a plastic filler, actually, to offset some of that plastic. The other thing you can actually do with the stocks is you can actually use the stock for sheet goods. You can, you can put it in different sizes, different and different formats for you know, building materials or other actual reinforcement-type materials.
1: Uh, that's amazing. We have on the upcoming road trip, actually, on Road Trip 8 coming up, um, Morris, we have uh, one of your Silver Mountain Hemp guitars, right? Uh, it's going to be on that road trip for us to show all across the country, our first coast-to-coast to Coast tour. So
2: There we um, go. That's awesome.
1: How was that made? Is that a compound in plastic? How is that? Is that injection molded? What What's the process there?
2: In uh, Morris's guitar, I've seen pictures, but I haven't really studied Morris's. Do you know? Is that a um, a laminate? I'm assuming there's probably it's a veneer. I don't know. What you tell me. Well, so it's a bass fiber
0: composite that is molded around a wood core. Okay, and I'm not exactly sure all the filler. I'm I'm going to connect you with these guys, Patrick. Okay. Yeah. And just so everybody else knows, so the, my line of Silver Mountain Hemp Guitars, I've also got guitar cabinets and volume knobs and picks, which Patrick has worked on as well. He developed the board product that we're using on our guitar cabinets that came from Sunstrand. So thank you for developing that board product. Yeah. Is that the
2: one that you're currently using?
0: Yeah. So we only built a couple of those prototypes at this point. Okay. And they're loaded with Tone Tubby Hemp Cone Speakers. But gotcha. as you know, the three quarter inch board that we need to make these is a bit problematic
2: with the current. Style. Yeah. So, well, there, there's some other options. So we can talk about that later.
0: Yeah. we. I want to talk about the other options. And then the volume knobs, you knocked out yeah. some other types of those that are cool, especially because they go to 11, which is important. They went to 11.
2: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I did, uh, so uh, Mark from Greenspring kind of brought me on board. He's like, hey, can you help me out with this? And so, yeah, we did some prototypes of that.
0: And Mark's a great guy. And again, so everybody knows we're going to be out at EarthX here. This is actually going to broadcast on the 422. So we'll be out at EarthX this coming weekend in Dallas, which is a great sustainability event festival that takes place every year. And there'll be several hundred thousand people out there. And we've got a hemp pavilion where all of us will be speaking. And then there's all kinds of other cool Save the Earth stuff going on throughout the weekend.
2: And it's Mark's hometown, so he's going to show us around. Take us to his favorite dive bars. Oh, that'll be great. Yeah, it's yeah, actually, be
1: Mark and um, Greensprin <laughs> actually made the hemp-printed, the 3D hemp-printed microphone that we used to give away for the winner of the first ever NoCo Karaoke Championship. So it was... Uh, oh, is that what that was? That was... That was that, really yeah. well.
2: that was cool. And
1: I love that I, we put it on Hemp Road Trip and Hair Foundation, helped sponsor, and I, we, I couldn't speak at all or sing, which I think was good for everyone else because my voice was gone. <laughs> So it was a great time. But um, you need a couple maybe a couple of projects you're working on now that you want to tell us about or you can tell us about that you're excited about?
2: Yeah. So the coolest thing, so this kind of comes back around to where I started on this kind of stuff. One of the things right now is we're working on a, a hemp core for board sports. And it was uh, we have it in three different applications at, at the NOCO. And uh, it's on the Instagram. And we'll have it again at EarthX, actually. So we've got our snowboard core our snowboard, um, with this core material in it. We had a, a surfboard, a wake surfer, uh, and a skateboard. And what's cool about this is we were able to take back to the, the headboard and optimize for flex. So you can reduce some of the other reinforcements that you would, would put in there that would actually add weight or add costs or just add extra material. In the skateboard, it's pretty cool because you're often some of these old-growth hardwoods that are in there. In the surfboard, you're replacing the stringer that a lot of people in the surf industry now are going to PVC because of the flex uh, characteristics of it. But PVC is kind of a gnarly plastic, and so you can get the same flex profiles out of a rapid renewable material. And then, of course, in the snowboard, which was my, you know, pride and joy able to, to put those materials in there and, and optimize the uh, flex profile for it. So there's that kind of stuff. We're doing a lot of work now on getting LCA, lifecycle uh, analysis, and that's, that's so you can justify some of these statements of why it's better to use this material over that material. I think it's super important to be able to, to do that, and so you're not just making claims, you're actually backing that up with, here's why, and we can show that it's actually better. And then beyond that, there's two whole bio waste issue that we're kind of starting to become a central hub on how do we figure out this issue for the industry and and the solutions will actually become localized right so those that can happen you know where the material is grown and and things like that and it benefits the people in those areas so so
1: one one final question um we had about 25,000 acres and 17 about 78,000 acres last year what is your estimate for number of acres for 2019
2: Oh, man, I don't know. I'm I'm not an agronomy guy. I, so you tell me and I'm going to tell you how we, what we're going to do with it and how we're going to fix it and solve that problem. Even better. So. That's
1: that's the better answer, actually. Well done. I like
2: it.
0: Yeah. All right. Morris, anything else? Well, thanks for your, your time, Patrick, and sharing your knowledge and expertise. Look forward to seeing you here this weekend at EarthX in yeah. and Dallas and talking about the future of hemp and how this can impact our farmers across the country and you know
2: help Yeah. No, I I really appreciate it. You know, we've been working hard on doing this and to get all the acknowledgement and recognition that we've gotten recently is just like, we are super excited and and just thankful for people like just being stoked on what we're doing. Yeah. Well, I'll be at EarthX as well. And we'll have the display with a lot of these materials, actual applications, things you can hold in your hand. And I'm actually going to give a talk a little bit more science heavy on the advantages and disadvantages, and why you use natural materials and, and, and how they can be better in certain applications. Plus, the booth is going to have some examples from the engineering stuff, like showing people like, oh, you hear a better damping, but what does that mean? Well, we've got a display that, that shows the natural fibers are better at mitigating the vibrations versus the carbon or the glass fibers. So we're, we're pretty excited to go down there uh, as well.
1: Right on, guys. Well, that, that exposition's uh, April 26th through the 28th at the Fair Park in Dallas, Texas. Uh, it'll be going on all weekend it's a huge earth uh, day celebration so we look forward to seeing you guys down there awesome all right take care guys thanks man
2: all right thanks guys
0: so that is going to do it for episode three season two of let's talk hemp and the 422 And we again thank Patrick Flareté from PF Designs for joining us. And we look forward to seeing him this coming weekend at the largest sustainability earth fair in the world. That is EarthX in Dallas, Texas. Until next time, rock on. The best way you can support the show is to share this with your family, friends, and colleagues. Don't miss the opportunity to learn more about this podcast at letstalkhemp.com. And if you enjoyed the show, feel free to subscribe and leave us an iTunes review. Thanks for listening. See ya.
2: Thanks for listening to today's show.
0: To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com.